Well, uh, it's February, and I wonder how your New, New Year's resolutions are going, um, if you had one at all. Uh, I don't even make them anymore, uh, because it's just, uh, it's, uh, it's just pointless. Um, for a time, every January, I did a detox diet. Um, I don't know if they're still kind of a big deal. I think they kind of are. Um, but several years ago, I felt like they were a bigger uh, deal. You know what I'm talking about, a diet that you go on that supposedly is supposed to sort of remove the toxins good luck from your system. Um, I remember I did one, I can tell you, it was 2006, uh, the whole month of January, and it was so, like, almost arbitrary. The, um, the things that I, like, part of it was, like, you couldn't even eat anything with vinegar, and I don't understand that at all. Um, just some bizarre one that I found online that probably wasn't healthy, but I lost a lot of weight, and I felt pretty good, actually. But I remember, I can tell you the day, February 1st, because I said January, right? February 1st, 2006, I was in a shopping mall in San Francisco, California, and there was a Pete's Coffee and Tea, and I said, boy, a, 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 a mocha sounds great. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, after 30 days of, of, not, um, of not drinking coffee, and I thought, it was really sort of torn inside. I thought, maybe I should keep this up, you know? Maybe I should um, keep the not drinking coffee thing up, but the, 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 the thought of a mocha from Pete's coffee just sounded too good and there I had one and I've never turned back again. I've uh, gone I've gone every single day since February 1st 2006 uh, drinking coffee I think I'm pretty sure um, and Holly and I did one back in 2012 uh, no 2000 yeah 2012 after uh, Eden was born we uh, went sort of vegan for a while uh, but I mean in a real extreme way and I just was having all these cravings, and I remember it was so ridiculous that uh, what I, one thing I was allowed to eat were, were raw nuts, but only a certain amount. But I would just like, I would eat like handfuls of raw cashews because I just was craving certain things, and that was like sort of kind of sating my appetite because it has so much fat in it. And of course, I was eating more than I was supposed to. I remember sort of sneaking into the cabinet and eating raw cashews. It's ridiculous, but that was like against the diet, you know, and I felt guilty about it. Um, and I bring this up because it's Lent, right? It's Lent, and um, you might be thinking about uh, something that you're giving up or, or fasting, or maybe you're one of those people who adds something to your life that's positive. And what's the stereotypical fast for Lent? Chocolate. Why is that? I want to know where that came from. Uh, that's kind of funny uh, because it's so full of sin. Um, chocolate is the stereotypical thing that people give up. And lo and behold, the first Sunday of Lent is Valentine's Day. How ironic. <laughs> um, one of my favorite movies, especially to think about right now, I get really excited around this time of year because there are a couple movies that, um, that I watch over and over again around this time. One is Groundhog Day, which was very recent, February 2nd. Another one, which usually kind of comes up more towards March when Lent begins, is chocolat, uh, chocolate in French. Do you know what I'm talking about? It stars Johnny Depp, uh, Juliette Binoche, uh, Judy Dench, uh, Alfred Molina, and uh, Carrie Ann Moss. Um, <clears throat> and, um, but that's all beside the point. It's about 2000 when this movie came out. Um, and it's, it takes place in a French, sort of sleepy French village uh, in the earlier part of the last century. Uh, and there's this woman named Vian who moves into town the Sunday before Lent begins. So you have to rewind back a week because it's right before Ash Wednesday. 
she happens to move in the Sunday before Lent, and she her thing is she's a she's a, a chocolatier. She opens a chocolaterie um, the week that Lent begins in this sleepy French town, and uh, of and uh, the 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 main sort of antagonist in the movie is the mayor. Um, the Comte de Renault, the Comte de Renault, who's Alfred Molina, and he thinks that this is just uh, totally, uh, I mean, the worst thing possible. That this woman, this outsider, would come in and open a chocolate shop, and he says, uh, during Lent, the, the nerve of the woman, so brazen, he says, I remember the quote. Um, and so the, the whole film takes place during the five weeks of Lent, and it's sort of this tussle between Beyond and the Comte de Renault, but also some of the townspeople who are following his lead and a boycott for morality. Uh, yeah, a boycott for Im of immorality. Boycott immorality is what they say. Because not only does Vian move in, but within a couple of weeks, these quote-unquote river rats, and Johnny Depp's chief among them, they're sort of like gypsy uh, vagabonds who are on these little boats who move into town. And uh, the Comte de Renault and all the sort of uptight people in town not only like do not like Vian, the chocolate saleswoman, uh, but these river rats, and uh, it sort of escalates. Um, at the end of the movie, uh, uh, the Comte Renault, who's so uptight and, and boycotting immorality and has this sort of strict legalism, not only on chocolate, but the sort of the immorality that the river rats sort of represent. Um, but it's so pent up. There's this good scene that sort of uh, depicts it where he's sitting at his, uh, his desk, his mayor's desk in his office, and there's kind of like a little biscuit with some jelly. And that's sort of, there's this tension between him and the biscuit and some jelly. And that sort of uh, signifies this sort of temptation that he has even inside himself, and he kind of pushes it aside. But this sort of uh, this, um, sense of um, uh, temptation builds up so much that by the end of the movie, the day before Easter, Holy Saturday, the Comte de Renault breaks into uh, Vian's chocolate shop um, with the intent of destroying it. Um, and he goes into this window display and he just starts, he has, a, he has his letter opener that he had in his office and he starts whacking at these chocolate statues and he decapitates this sort of, uh, sort of angelic cherubim of chocolate. And when he does that, this little speck of chocolate hits his lip. And he goes like, it's really kind of disgusting because they go close up on the chocolate and you see it and he goes like this. And that is the death of him. And he just gorges himself on all the chocolate in this window display and basically gets drunk on the chocolate so much so that he passes out uh, and spends the night in the window display of chocolate. The, the very man who was battling the war against it was not even himself able to make it all the way through Lent up into Easter day without uh, not only being tempted, but gorging himself on this chocolate. Well, haven't you been there before? Haven't you been uh, in a kind of similar situation as the Comte de Renault, this sort of deep-seated temptation that's almost like a gravitational force that you, you can't resist? You know, maybe you've stuck into the kitchen and, uh, and ate something that you didn't want people to know that you were eating at some point. It probably wasn't as ridiculous as raw cashews, um, but maybe you've been there before, or maybe you've tried to give up a, an addiction to a quote-unquote drug, maybe not an illicit drug, but something else that, 
that, um, that is addictive, whether alcohol or, or something else that is almost like a drug that is almost, it's, it's basically impossible for you to give up. Or maybe you have failed uh, New Year's resolutions or otherwise that, um, that uh, you're depending on your sort of own willpower only to come to find out that your willpower never really was strong. It was weak to begin with and you just thought it was stronger than it is. Um, or maybe your attempts to be a perfectly uh, moral person through behavior modification have worked for a little while. Maybe they still are working, uh, only to come that after so long, uh, like the Comte de Renault on Holy Saturday, you, in fact, gorge on the thing that you've been resisting. Well, I bring all this up because uh, today's passage, we had Jesus Christ's temptation uh, in the wilderness. Uh, which is fascinating that the very first line tells us that he was driven out into the wilderness for 40 days by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit puts him in the presence of the devil. Um, It's not by accident. Uh, This is uh, a planned thing uh, to put him in the wilderness for 40 days without eating anything at all. So uh, in his full humanity has to be suffering from the hunger pains uh, and uh, lightheadedness of, of fasting for so long. And it's in that context that he's tempted by the devil during this fast for 40 days. And the devil gives him ideas about making food, promises uh, him some earthly power, and tests his faith in God the Father. Those are the sort of three major temptations, only to have Jesus appropri- appropriately respond in ways that we would never probably think uh, with God's very word. Uh, as a response to each of these temptations. And although he's tempted by, like uh, you and me and the Comte de Renault, uh, he actually succeeds. Uh, Jesus has a willpower that is ironclad in this situation in ways that ours uh, are permeable and weak. Well, let me come back to chocolat again and think about the, uh, the, the Comte de Renault. You know, it's helpful to understand the backstory that one of the things that's happening in this story is that he says, people ask, um, how, how's his wife? That he says that she's been on this long trip, that she's been on this long trip, I think, with family. She's been away for a while, and people keep asking her, and he sort of pretends that, uh, well, things are going well, and she'll be back soon. But the thing is that we know is she's left him. Uh, she's left him. And uh, th- this is the, the major wound in his life, the big hurt um, that he's sort of putting a mask over, a veneer, so the world won't see it and know that uh, his wife has left him. Uh, and so that's the sort of emotional thing. You know, when he's there tempted by the biscuit with jelly, it's not really about that because there his wife's photo is also. Uh, and so there's a connection between the sort of uh, weakness, the temptation, and, and what's really going on in his life. And so that uh, coming to grips with the fact that his wife, yes, indeed, has left him is the sort of the, the crucible in which um, the, the storm happens on the night uh, when he does break into the shop and has the, uh, this sort of incident with the chocolate. And so here he is passed out in the window display, basically hung over on chocolate early in the morning on Easter Sunday. Uh, and, and we see that Vian, the chocolate shop owner, and Père Henri, who's the priest in town, are standing there looking at him, down at him, 
passed out, and he sort of wakes up groggily, and he says to her, I'm so sorry. And she says, I won't tell a soul. I won't tell a soul. Um, and that is just sort of a, uh, you know, this isn't my main point, but gosh, what a, how, how much better of an image of forgiveness and grace can you get? <laughs> The, the woman who's been uh, violated by the, this incident directly says to him, I won't tell a soul. And then after this happens, still kind of in his delusion a little bit, uh, he, the thing you have to know is he's been basically writing the priest's sermons for him this whole time. And the priest is this sort of well-meaning young uh, priest who, uh, who, who's brand new at this and wants to do a good job, but the, the mayor has this stranglehold on the priest's sermons, that he turns them into kind of the uh, crushing themes of legalism and morality, especially to, to hammer, home, uh, hammer home these uh, themes during Lent, but editing these sermons to be sort of assaults on temptation, especially kind of roundabout ways to attack beyond and the river rats. Um, but the ultimate victim of his legalism is him himself, and here he is lying there, even after Vian has said, I won't tell a soul, and he looks at the priest and he says, I haven't finished the sermon for Easter Sunday. Uh, and then the young priest says, I think I can figure something out. I think I can figure something out. Uh, and so Henri's message changes that Sunday from one of him being a proxy for this message of legalism into a, a new message of grace. And, I, and if you go listen to it, don't get me wrong, I'm not fully endorsing what he says exactly because it's Hollywood a little bit, uh, but the, the overall sentiment is one of, of grace and mercy and love. And this townspeople therefore have some good news finally, especially on Easter Sunday when he gets, he gets up into the pulpit and says, I'm not sure what the theme of my homily today ought to be. Do I want to speak of the miracle of our Lord's divine transformation? Uh, not really, no. I don't want to talk about his divinity. I'd rather talk about his humanity. Now, don't judge that. You might think at first blush, well, that sounds kind of hippy-dippy. I don't want to talk about his divinity. I want to talk about his humanity. But today, let's do talk not about our Lord's divinity, but his humanity. The author of the Hebrews has this to say about our Lord's humanity. And you have to remember, think about this. This is orthodox theology, folks, that Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% human. He wasn't 50-50. That's called a heresy. 100% and 100%. So he's fully divine and fully human at the same time. And so Père Henri is right to say, today I'm not going to talk about his divinity. We talk a lot about that. Today I'm going to talk about his humanity. And so did the author of the Hebrews, when talking about our Lord's humanity, said this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted, as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help, uh, uh, to help in the time of need. Uh, we uh, do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Why? Because he was 100% human. 
He experienced what humanity is like. He knows, but not only experienced it, he knows it through and through because he's 100% human. Uh, in every respect, was tempted as we are, and yet where we failed, he succeeded. So therefore, he is our great high priest, making intercession and atonement on our part for us, us for him, him for us. Therefore, uh, his sinlessness and resistance to temptation is ours as well when God sees us. And so the the truth of Christ's temptation for us is this. Although we are too weak uh, to fast for 40 days and be tempted by the devil, Jesus did in our place. And although we turn stones of life into bread that perishes, Jesus resists the urge to break the fast for us. And although we are tempted and fall into unbelief, Jesus Christ has faith for us. Not for us, but for you. For you. All these things for you. When you fail, you have his uh, strength, his resistance to temptation. Now I'll end with this final note. There's this... uh, uh, this hymn that I've been listening to, uh, take take note, Andrew. Let's let's bring this one in. Um, uh, that speaks to everything that I'm trying to say. And so let me end with this. These words um, by Horatius uh, Bonner, who is a, a Scottish hymn writer, who wrote a song called "Upon a Life uh, I Did Not Die," and it goes like this: Upon a life I did not live. Upon a death I did not die, another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. Not on the tears which I have shed, not on the sorrows I have known, another's tears, another's griefs, on these I rest, on these alone. And so not on mine, but on another's, one that I did not live, one that I did not die, a temptation that I did not have, but given for me and given for you. And that's the good news of Christ's temptation in the wilderness for us. Amen.